Hello, and welcome to the CAP Advocacy Recap, a monthly podcast dedicated to catching you up on the top news for pathologists. I'm Alec Bose from the CAP's Advocacy Communication Team here with your October Recap. For this episode, we have a conversation with Dr. Richard Eisner to discuss the CAP's virtual fly into Capitol Hill that he participated in to urge members of Congress to mitigate future cuts to Medicare. But first, we start today off with recent updates regarding the health insurer Cigna. In late September, pathologists and laboratories began receiving letters from Cigna stating that the insurer would go forward with an updated payment policy on the professional component of clinical pathology. From the CAP's perspective, for Cigna to discontinue reimbursement for these services would prove detrimental to patients and laboratory diagnostic services. Following a request for additional details on the policy change, Cigna provided the CAP with its updated policy to deny these claims. The CAP pressed for additional details after the insurer acknowledged the role of pathologists in oversight services and laboratory management. In their response, officials representing Cigna stated that it would, quote, issue denials when the facility where the services were provided is contractually responsible for laboratory management and oversight services, end quote. Cigna said this is similar to how Medicare Part A reimburses pathologists for this work. Under Medicare Part A, a payment is assigned to each diagnosis-related group, DRG which is for the full spectrum of services received by the patient, including PC of CP services. Hospitals then pay pathologists for such services at fair market value. As noted earlier, the CAP has asked Cigna for additional details regarding its policy. As the CAP remains engaged on this issue, we will keep you updated on any developments on Cigna and their policy regarding PC of CP services. We move now to Capitol Hill, where a bipartisan bill has been introduced in the Senate to address the social determinants of health. The Social Determinants Accelerator Act, sponsored by Senators Todd Young and Debbie Stabenow, would provide grants for state, local, and tribal governments to develop strategies that target social determinants negatively impacting the most vulnerable populations. The CAP sent a letter on August 24th supporting similar legislation introduced in the House of Representatives. The primary objective of these initiatives is to better understand the factors that drive health care disparities in the United States. Given the importance of laboratory data in the U.S. healthcare system, the CAP engages with agencies like the CDC and the FDA on it to represent pathologists. We applaud the effort to bring these agencies together and tackle social determinants of health and disparities in care. The CAP is in the process of reviewing the Senate bill and plans to engage with its co-sponsors. In more legislative news, 245 members of the House of Representatives urged congressional leadership to extend a 3.75% positive Medicare payment adjustment through 2022. The goal? Provide stability to physicians and other providers serving Medicare patients. The letter was led by Representatives Amy Barra, a physician from California, and Larry Bouchon, a physician from Indiana. Doctors Barrett and Bouchon led the successful effort last year to mitigate proposed cuts in health care payments. In December 2020, lawmakers followed through by including a 3.75% Medicare payment increase, which mitigated budget neutrality cuts from CMS. The CAP has continued to support this relief and has called on it to be extended for another year. This was the specific legislative ask pathologists advocated for during the CAP-facilitated, quote, virtual fly-in. 
More than 65 pathologists met with their federal congressional representatives to urge them to mitigate Medicare cuts to pathology services. One such participant was Dr. Richard Eisner. We sat down with Dr. Eisner to discuss this year's unique flying experience and the importance of advocacy on this issue. So we are joined here today by Dr. Richard Eisner. Dr. Eisner, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate your time today. Sure, thank you. Happy to participate. So you're from Arizona, right? Right. So tell me a bit about your representatives, the representatives you reached out to, and tell me sort of uh, like what that experience was like. So, um, yeah, so I, we reached out to and were connected with legislative assistance for um, Representative Schweikert. I live in the district that he represents here in Arizona and also to Cinema's uh, office. So those two sessions uh, uh, we had and they went very well, actually. Um, I did participate in the a virtual fly-in at the previous weekend meeting that was part of the session in Washington that we normally fly into and also connected with the same two offices at that time. This session actually went better because I think the virtual platform used was improved. So it was a little bit better connecting um, and also submit your responses. And both of the uh, folks we engaged with, I think were in, engaged with, with us, understood, I think, the, the ask. Both folks were able to connect um, by video with us, which was much more you know, in, informative and interactive. One of the offices, I forget which one, that person connected just via phone. So it's certainly much better if they... Um, you know, I think they have the option of not choosing video if they don't if they don't want to, um, and certainly if they if they're on there with you in a video format when it's virtual, is uh, is much yeah. better. Right. So tell me a little bit about this um, legislative ask. I, you, you went to this virtual fly-in to advocate a specific policy. Tell me about that and why you feel that policy was significant significant enough to warrant your advocacy. Right. So the, um, the specific ask we were speaking to was uh, regarding um, mitigating the projected cuts in Medicare reimbursement for pathology services, which is part of the sort of larger cuts that are affecting those physicians who work largely in the hospital, um, like pathologists, radiologists, et cetera, who aren't necessarily directly facing patients. Because of the increased reimbursement to primary care physicians and other patient-facing physicians, because of the budget neutrality provision that exists, um, it has to come out of other services and they've elected to take it from specialties like pathology, especially during the pandemic. And we stress that, that during this pandemic and evolution of uh, committed resources, increased resources and stress on the laboratory and the pathologists, that it's not, a, not the time to uh, cut uh, these services. And it's, and it's very important, as I said, for, you know, for our, our practice, um, to uh, to not have those services reduced um, as we continue to you know to work through the pandemic and the resources for laboratory testing we're still facing shortages in the in the supply chain that's affecting the laboratory um, and we periodically and we're just facing that right now in my own lab uh, where we're short of uh, reagents to run certain tests and then we have to either send them out to a lab that still has the reagents so it's become a a, a bit of a um, chronic problem. So we've been in uh, sort of this uh, hybrid pandemic uh, virtual meeting space for quite a bit of time now. Have you um, done other flyings in the past where it was not where they were like in-person flyings? Right. right. And so- yeah. Yeah. I've, yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah. I participated in a number of them actually over the years, um, uh, beginning oh, probably 10 years ago, maybe even a little more. 
and uh, and I and I enjoyed those. Um, but clearly, it's a very different experience. Yeah, tell, tell yeah, speak a little bit, sort of, about the uh, sort of advantages and limitations. I think there's you know there's always yeah um, something to be said, especially you know for people who are sort of starting with this advocacy who haven't who haven't been able to do it in person who are sort of a little bit maybe hesitant or maybe aren't sure how to do it you know as a virtual versus in person or vice versa can you speak a little bit about that i think one of the biggest advantages of being in person is you know being at the room with the person you're engaging with probably get a little bit more of a feel of you know body language and facial language and nuances in that regard and then and just being you know closer together whether you're with one one on one or with a, a group of people representing uh, the issue in your state the preparation time is is probably about the same i think with the virtual uh, aspect, the materials being available and being able to review everything in the in the same space sort of was, was a little bit easier. Although with current technology and you know loading of documents, uh, even if you're flying in, I think you could prepare uh, pr- pretty much easily. Uh, you know, did the same. You know, one of the uh, the virtual advantage of the virtual is is one not having to take the time to fly in, stay overnight, the flight, if, depending on where you're coming from. With the virtual, you know, you obviously at home uh, or at work and uh, being able to connect right in. So it does bring in that advantage of not having to commit to the travel um, yeah. and, and that amount of time to, to go in. So th- there is a, a trade-off. Certainly through the pandemic, I mean, uh, you know, our virtual technology has been a tremendous advantage for, for so many businesses, not just healthcare. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a good point. For the last question, I just want to uh, jump back to the policy side. When we talk about mitigating cuts, we talk about sort of maybe the continuous threats facing pathology reimbursement to specific services that are um, really important. Can you um, talk about uh, some of the challenges you see down the road with some of this legislation mitigating Medicare cuts and some of the potential opportunities you see? Well, I, I think if, you, you know, one is the budget neutrality issue is that stays in place and they look to, to shift uh, reimbursement, increase it in some area. It's got to come obviously out of, out of other service lines or uh, other disciplines. And that that's a, a threat to not, you know, like pathologists, particularly if it's in this mode of uh, increasing reimbursement to, to the primary care or patient facing physicians. And that's important. I don't, I, we don't you know, oppose that in any way. And I don't think any pathologist would, but um, I think there has to be a mechanism devised where we can work through these with, con- with Congress and Medicare services to uh, prioritize what should be reimbursed and, or even increased and, and those that can be um, reduced. I think there's, you know, the challenges are with testing in a lot of areas, not just the laboratory, um, you know, whether it's radiology and other services and procedures, we have such an expense of the cost of care, you know, in the in this country in particular versus the, the outcomes we, we see and you compare it to other countries and other healthcare systems. And I think that's a, a big challenge going going forward. You know, I think there's certainly opportunity for the pathology community and let's say working with other similar service lines like radiology to be able to bring forth what we what we really provide for patient care and how much of that is important and what we need to keep funded for both the hospitals, the laboratories for their operations, as well as, you know, pathologists, the physician reimbursement piece. Part of uh, the challenge I think we face is that we're not on the front lines. You know, radiologists who do procedures are sort of there, but, you know, for those radiologists who are 
uh, non-patient facing and other service lines in the hospital. Um, we're kind of in the background. The patients don't see us. The community doesn't see us for, in terms of our importance. So we need to we need to advocate for that. I think the CAP has been doing a, a better job about that. But I think education to our legislators and to the public, you know, as to how critical we are to patient care. Thank you so much. We really appreciate your time. All right. Take care. That's all for this edition of this month's CAP Advocacy Recap. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to read our weekly advocacy newsletter and follow us on Twitter at CAPBC Advocacy. Once again, for CAP Advocacy, I'm Alec Bose, and we'll see you next month.